denying it. Everywhere you look around our roads today, vehicles are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. This is The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld. I'll be joined by Stephanie Wallcraft. She's a contributor at driving.ca and wheels.ca. And we're going to be looking at the implications of those big, big vehicles, not just on the people who buy them, though we will be discussing that, but also on other road users, pedestrians, cyclists, other cars, and what happens when there's such a mix on our roads. Stephanie Wallcraft, welcome to The Driving Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I am very interested in this topic. Um, I think all of us in this industry have been following it for years now. We're watching the size of vehicles get bigger and bigger and bigger. And a pickup truck from 10 years ago or 20 years ago looks like an unrelated cousin to the stuff that's dominating the roads today. I want to ask you, how do you think we got here? How have we seen this proliferation of immense vehicles dominating our roads? Uh, well, there's so much to it, isn't there? It's not just one factor. There's there's so many things that play a role. Um, the ease of financing very expensive vehicles is certainly one of them. And uh, we've seen the, um, I think you've written about this, Lorraine, that, that tendency in dealerships to extend um, the, the financing agreements out to seven, eight, nine years um, to get people into monthly payments that they can afford to get the vehicles that they want. And pickup trucks are a key part of that because they can get so expensive these days. But people really focus on the monthly payment. So as long as the monthly payment is in a region with, that they're comfortable with, then they'll get into those $80,000, $90,000 trucks and not really think twice about it. So that's problem one. Problem two is the price of gas, which has been fluctuating a lot, but we have had relatively you know, affordable gas prices for a very long time, uh, other than, than the blip a couple of years ago. We're going to see that change. And it's, it's funny, isn't it, how people will not hesitate to buy a vehicle with the gas um, usage that they can afford right this second and not think, oh, you know, six months from now, what if gas costs $2 a litre? It just doesn't seem to cross anyone's mind. Yeah, I know we've seen that happen before. I, I do want to tell listeners, I'm not anti-truck. I don't, I, I love trucks. Trucks have a purpose and a place, and I understand that. And a lot of people need it for their jobs. I get it. There's parts of the country, especially in rural parts, it's the only thing that makes sense on the roads. And I get that. We all get that. All of my colleagues, you, me, everybody. I think what bothers me is seeing so many in urban cores, downtown tight. You know, we're trying to build density in our cores, which means putting stuff closer together, and in come these massive vehicles. And yeah, cheap interest rates, free gas. If we listen to Booth, gas is going to go through the roof. I wonder what people are going to do. You're right about being short-sighted about that. Um, I, I look at even the names of these vehicles, Warrior, Renegade, um, Oh, what's what's the Gladiator, the Jeep, Dodge, Ram? Very aggressive, a lot of aggressive stuff. Do you think the manufacturers have a role? If you ask them, they'll say, we're supplying what people want. Well, that's it. They just, they're going to build what people are going to buy, right? That's their job. That's their one role is that they, they want to sell the vehicle to the people that want to buy it. I'm going to give you a great example. Um, last week, I mean, we, you and I both are in this this automotive journalism rotation where we drive a dif- different vehicle every week, right? So it just so happens that last week, my vehicle of the week was a Ram 1500 uh, Limited Longhorn. So this truck is $90,000. It's so large. I live not downtown anymore. I live in the West End, but I happen to need to go downtown for a couple of things last week. So I'm in the city, you know, fairly frequently, uh, but also 
on some side roads where it made a lot more sense and it's got cylinder deactivation. So it's pretty decent on the highway fuel wise, but then you take it into the city and this $90,000 truck that's got, you know, just ridiculously opulent leather seats and open pour wood on the dash inserts and like filigree belt buckles on the backs of the, of the, the front seats. It's, it's insane, huge sunroof. And then I get this thing downtown and I go to park it in a parking garage and I can't even get it down, down the ramp. Like it's so tall, it doesn't fit into these urban parking garages. You know, you have to use your mirrors just to get down side streets. And yet people, like you said, in the environments where they're in that situation often, we're not talking about the people that are driving through rural Alberta and need their, the, the four-wheel drive. We're talking about people taking their kids to school in one of these things and going into these situations with these parking garages. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So there are solutions out there for these people. And I think that... that we really should dig into this, Lorraine, and have a conversation about it because for, for these people that are in this situation where they want to be, you know, suburban, urban driving in cities, but they also want the pickup, there are products out there that would work for them, but those aren't what are selling. And so that's not what's getting auto, automaker attention, but because it's not getting automaker attention and you're not getting that open pour wood and that filigree and all that fancy stuff in these smaller mid-sized trucks that really would be a better fit for the kind of customer that we're talking about, they're not selling. So what that's, it's this chicken and egg scenario that's just. I wrote that in my notes. I wrote chicken and egg <laughs> because we're, we're seeing ad campaigns. Like when manufacturers tell me we're only supplying what people are buying and I go, who makes them want it? And they're selling, they're selling a lifestyle. And I was reading a consumer reports and they're saying that what is usually put into these ads is things about speed and horsepower, like all the aggressive stuff. And that's three times more frequently than words like fuel economy, safety, and green features, which people say they want. And I remember Giorgini at the APA, he once said that the public is an ass. Because he, said, <laughs> <laughs> he told me that about 15 years ago, and he said, they say one thing, they do another. So they you know, will talk about what they want, the features, turn around, and buy the biggest thing they can afford. I don't know if our brains are broken, but I think I'm I'm wondering if part of the problem I know part of the problem is the big trucks um back when I was a kid they were so inefficient they cost so much money to fill up and they didn't get you know they're truly work vehicles and you didn't just you know go around driving them for fun because it cost too much we've made cars so fuel efficient well not me I shouldn't take personal credit for that <laughs> but but the manufacturers and government legislation has made them so fuel efficient that people can justify buying them it's it's not as bad as it used to be. And I think we've kind of created our own problem in a lot of ways. Well, and you you bring up a good point. That's, that's point number three that I meant to make at the beginning about the problem that with, with trucks and the way that they're made today. And that's the torque wars, right? The, the manufacturers launch these new trucks and, and this one's got 800 pound feet of torque and this one's got 850 pound feet of torque and this one's got 852 pound feet of torque. And then it just goes on and on. How many people who buy those trucks actually need that amount of power. How many actually use it on a regular basis, right? I'm not talking about people who maybe tow, you know, their their camping trailer into, into place and then out to storage again twice a year. Who actually uses this for work purposes regularly? Very, very few people of the, of the people that are actually buying these trucks. And yet those numbers, they, as you said, they will sway opinions and convince people to buy trucks, even though it's not a feature or a function that they actually need. And that's its own set of problems. And even people like builders, not that I feel really bad for builders very often, but um, a traditional driveway, apparently, I was looking at Peterborough, Milton, all new builds, and they're supposed to leave 
six meters, I believe, for a driveway, mm-hmm. something like that, six meters. And some cities allow five and a half. These trucks are 6.3 meters. And so there's some places, there was a uh, Milton couple, they're asking the city to change uh, bylaws so they can hang over the sidewalk. And it's a couple of years ago. And of course, everyone's going, eh, no, it's not going to happen. People are buying condos and homes and that they can't fit their vehicles in the garages. They can't fit them in and they're finding out later. And right now it's like tough luck, but now there's so many of these on the road. I, I don't know where this stops. And if we look from a safety aspect, what if you read ads for them, they look great. They're out in the moon, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, traipsing around. And the manufacturers to tell you how safe they are. And they're right. The safety features and the protection they provide for the people in those vehicles is outstanding. They are absolutely deadly to everyone else around them on the road. And this is a conversation that a lot of people think there's a war on cars. There is not. There is not at all. But why can't we have it in the same breath that we talk about protecting? protecting cyclists and pedestrians. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to flag this point because I may not be remembering this correctly, but off the top of my head, I think the reason why we don't see full-size pickups and and large SUVs sold in Europe is because those vehicles don't actually meet the pedestrian protection requirements under European law at all. It's true. And when there's a bad crash, there's one in Switzerland, they instantly start changing how big the SUVs can be that come into the city. Right. And th- and things like that. And there was, what was the stat? They looked at, just a few years ago, they looked at 3 million Canadian crashes and someone driving an SUV was 224% more likely to cause a fatal crash. And I think there's a combination, especially in winter, you feel bulletproof in one of these things. They're so big, so you're going too fast. Speed is the number one problem and distraction. Um But you feel so safe, and technically you are very safe, but everyone around you, the size of the hoods. I don't know. Did you see um, Jalopnik guy, I think? I can't remember. He had an expedition. No, it was an Escalade. It was about six months ago. And he went to his little kid's school, and he lined up 12 12 little kids in front of the hood before he could see one. And he he said, "I, I drive these for a living, like I drive cars for a living, like we do. And he goes, I'm terrified in this thing. It is so big. Uh He's on top of everyone around him. But children are at such risk because we can't see them. Well, let's add another layer to that discussion, too, because there's also the part about how we hear about all these these um, driver safety assistance systems that are getting put into modern vehicles, like your your automatic emergency braking and that sort of thing. I think people get a sense of complacency from knowing that's in their vehicle when they don't actually know how it works. They don't know at what speed it works. They don't know what the braking distance is going to be that it's going to work at. and then people, some people, not everyone, obviously, but some people never actually do look into it and just assume that the vehicle is going to take care of it and going to take care of them and the people around them without knowing the limitations. So that doesn't help either. And anything can fail. And you brought in a good point about what speed some of them kick in. And I know they make a big deal about um, vehicles having sensors that can find people walking on the road. Not if you're making a right turn, not at night. And not reliably. And everybody knows this. Like, you are not protecting pedestrians. And the manufacturers know. And they're getting there. They're doing a lot of work to do this. But I feel like they're having to put in sensors and programs to correct mistakes they've made because of size and weight. It's funny. I started out in this job and 
the cyclists and pedestrian groups would write to me yelling and screaming. <laughs> and finally, I'm going, dudes, I'm on your side. <laughs> like, read my stuff <laughs> because we all, you know, we're all pedestrians at some point. We have to do this. And I remember telling my kids, make eye contact before you cross the road, stuff like that. These vehicles are so high up. You can't make eye contact if you wanted to. And so even if you can, they're also tinted now because, you you know, you have to have tint going on and the size of the side mirrors and blind spots. And again, safety features like you just mentioned, they can't remove every element of humanity from it. You have to know who's driving that car and you have to see who's outside of your vehicle. And it scares me. <laughs> Are they going to go bigger and bigger? Is the price of gas going to stop this? Even the electrics are big. Yeah, I think I think we what we need to do next is stop talking about all the problems because I think we've laid those out pretty well and start talking about what the solutions are going to be. You know what? That's a perfect way. We're going to take a break right now for a few moments, but we'll be right back with Stephanie Walcraft and the Driving Podcast. And we're back on the Driving Podcast. I'm joined by Stephanie Walcraft. Stephanie you had a great closing line before we went to break. It's easy to complain about it. It's easy for me to say all these things I don't like about them, but you're right. What's the answer? Where do we go from here? Well, I think the answer to that question depends on what the goal of having the truck is in the first place. Um, people buy, as we said, they buy big trucks for the feeling of security. And they buy it because some people are actually going to use that capability. They need the payload. They need the towing capacity, that sort of thing. They need the the enormous torque. Um, and some people just want that, that look, that, you know, that beefy, um, thing going down the road and sitting in their driveway. So how do we address those points and make more efficient and safer vehicles, um, more appealing to the people that want to meet those needs? I think one of the main ones is to make midsize trucks more appealing. Uh, and I feel as though, Automakers are starting to look in that direction. Um, we're seeing, for example, the uh, Nissan Frontier was just redesigned. Um, although, to be perfectly honest with you, I drove one recently, and it's very capable, and it's it's all the things you want a mid-sized truck to be. But the interior is not a whole lot better than the old one was, um, and that's a big problem that a lot of the mid-sized truck field has is that they're just not getting into those layers of opulence and and uh, comfort that you're seeing in some of the bigger trucks and that is a deficiency that really needs to be addressed in the short term um, to get more people into those mid-sized trucks for who it would really be a better fit now i'm sort of intrigued i have to say also by the hyundai santa cruz it's did, have you seen those things it's, it's it like is so cute it is <laughs> i drove one last week and i was i was really intrigued by it because it's just basically a mid-size SUV, but with a bed instead of a, a lift gate. And um, it's perfectly capable. And it does what most people would need it to do. And you can put your stinky hockey bag in the back and you don't have to worry <laughs> about it stinking up your cabin. And it's it's intriguing. And I feel like if people would, would try out things like that and not just default to the, the big truck and, and consider what they actually need, um, and what they're looking for. Um, the Santa Cruz has a gorgeous interior, just like it's the Hyundai Tucson that it's based on, right? There's more options like that for people that want maybe something different so that, that, that is truck-like, but not all the way to, to a full-size truck um, would go a long way, I think, in, in trying to convert some of those people away from those big trucks that don't really need them and make a difference in, in safety and fuel economy as a whole. 
you, you make a good point. Um, I think maybe it's time to acknowledge that people just like the idea of a truck. Mm-hmm. We've all these big ones that are costing a fortune. They don't have a bed in them. Like you can't put four by eight sheets of stuff. You can't put a couch in them. Like they're not because they've got that full double cab and four mm-hmm. doors. And a lot of people, it's almost like we've moved from SUVs to these. I learned last week writing about hockey families, why they like pickup trucks because the hockey bags are so stinky. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I understand that. That makes sense. But I like your point of give them all that, give them that space for the kids and everything that they want with a bed for the occasional stuff that you you know, want to throw in the back like stinky hockey gear. Um, I think Canada has an uphill battle. We have the largest market share of light trucks in the world mm-hmm. out of 53 countries. And we also have the h- highest fuel consumption and the worst CO emissions. So I love these mid-range ideas. And I really think you're hitting on something that people want the feel of a truck, the look of a truck. They want the comfort, but it doesn't have to be these gargantuan things that take up all the space in the parking lots. Have you seen those where they're hanging over sideways and lengthwise? You know, the, the, the Ram I was driving, I mentioned last week, um, it had the surround view camera and without using the surround view camera and I can drive like I'm a decent driver and I know where the edges of my vehicle are, but I could not center that thing in a parking space to save my life without that surround view camera because it was right up against the lines in just about every parking lot I was in. Like it was gargantuan. Oh, yeah. And you figure that's also encroaching on other people's spaces mm-hmm. in parking lots. If you're, you know, in a urban setting, you can't yeah. just go park, park a million miles away. I want to address one more thing before we move on from this, Lorraine. And that's another conversation that has to be had around truck owners and what they're looking for. People assume that if they're going to be carrying stuff in their in their bed that's somewhat heavy or if they're going to be towing a trailer on a regular basis, that they need a large pickup. And that's just not the case. I addressed this in one of the stories I wrote for driving.ca this summer where I was driving a large SUV. I'll, I'll name it, but it's not it's only halfway per, like important to my point here. It was a Dodge Durango with the new the uh, RT with the new tow and go package, um, which was great. Fabulous to tow with. But I, my trailer was only 1,600, 1600 pounds. So um, that's well, well, well below what that truck is capable of. It was almost a joke. Like it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was silly to have an SUV that was that large, that capable, towing this thing that a minivan could tow, right? And we don't talk mm-hmm. about this enough, the fact that people think that if they have any sort of camping trailer that they need to get around it, that means that they need a truck. And that's not necessarily the case. More education around what today's SUVs, minivans, other options can do might help to steer some of those people away from defaulting to a large truck and saying, oh, you know, maybe maybe I can do this with a midsize truck or maybe a three row SUV would better meet my needs and, and have much better fuel economy when I'm not using it that way. I, I think we look around and we see the way the world's changing. And we need to be doing more. And instead, we're just building more and making more. And it's bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I've, I've watched in astonishment. The first time I went to the Detroit Auto Show was probably 13 years ago, maybe 14 mm-hmm. years ago. And they had the front ends on some of these cars were so aggressive, like really, really boxy, aggressive, like bared teeth almost. And I remember talking to the young woman I was walking around with, I go, what is going on? Like, what is this? And she just rolls her eyes and started laughing. And she goes, it's a very masculine industry. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, where's all the little sexy European sport cars? You know, <laughs> which I know is a different conversation. But it started back then, and every I thought it would just be a blip, and that people would want streamlined cars and better fuel economy and all those things. Instead, it, they've thrown that out the window, and these big blocks—they're big blocky chunks and higher and higher and higher and we've we're talking a little bit earlier about design and safety when the hoods are so high if, if you get hit by a civic you'll get hit mid-thigh maybe yeah if you're a pedestrian and you'll roll over the hood it's designed that way you'll roll mm-hmm. and you'll live you get hit by these you're getting hit in the head yeah and, and if you're a child that front roll over when they're at the front of the truck and you mentioned how you can't see anything and they have larger um a pillars and you can't see around them and so i I really hope people would hop in and not be relying on all these safety things to work for them because it's scary to drive blind like it just is let's just make one point just from the devil's advocate position where Mm -hmm. if it's going to hit you in the head as a human it's going to hit a moose in the body and that's a good thing too That's where they're more likely to hit a human than a moose. In the city, absolutely. But when we're talking about that, there are those people in those rural environments where a truck actually does make sense, just in support of their argument, like it does make sense in in that situation. If you're more likely to encounter a deer than a child, probably the truck is the right thing for you, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about getting those people out of these trucks that really truly don't need them and getting them into something more practical. Oh, and the moose the moose conversation is the right one to have. Uh, but I know manufacturers will always point out their safety ratings, mm-hmm. and I agree with them because, yes, I want to be in that truck if it hits something because it will protect you. But the people around it, you know, and even the mirrors, the mirrors are getting so big. Mm-hmm. And you clip, you know, they uh, – can you tell I'm – getting upset with how big this stuff is getting i see too many little kids that, well kids don't pay attention when they're walking and i know someone's going to go they got to get their phone their nose out of their phone they're crossing against the light all this stuff in the toronto area anyway most of the pedestrian fatalities are seniors mm-hmm. they're not they're not 18 year olds with their nose in the phone so we have to be protecting all kinds of pedestrians not just one type not just children but we've got seniors and everyone else and if you can't see um that it's incredibly dangerous for them. So the last point that we should address, Lorraine, is that there are just people that are never going to give up their trucks. That's what they want to drive. And and if we could come at it from the perspective that, that that needs to be respected and we need to find products to keep people in those trucks, but still keep moving reductions in fuel use in the right direction. That's where I start to get really excited about seeing things like the um, Ford F-150 Power Boost, which I also drove earlier this summer, um, which has that hybrid component in the powertrain that not only works to reduce fuel use somewhat, but also is extremely useful uh, for things like having, um, basically you can use it as a portable generator. You can run it, um, run the engine, and it's got a full um, power outlet set in the back and you can run tools. I had it um, powering my trailer at a campsite one day. And so it's not only more fuel efficient, but also extremely functional for somebody that actually wants a truck to be useful in more ways than on the road. That makes so much sense to me as, as a product that's appealing for a truck owner. Um, and then you, you can expand that out to talking about the uh, Ford F-150 Lightning, the fully electric truck that's coming, and some of the other ones as well. I don't, I'm not sure that they're going to sell more than about 10 of those, but that's <laughs> a different discussion. 
But the hybrid makes a lot of sense because you don't have to rely entirely on the um, the battery and, the, and its range to get you where you're going. But you've also got that onboard capability that comes along with the fuel savings. And when you start to get into that much of an appealing proposition for reducing fuel use for a truck owner, that makes a lot of sense to me. So let's let's hope then that manufacturers are innovating in the right direction and that buyers are going to meet them there, because I think that will come a long way as to what you're saying, making vehicle, getting people to buy vehicles that actually meet their needs. Let's define those needs. Let's supply those vehicles. And let's see if we can pull some of the size back from our downtown cores and make them safer for everyone else on the road. I want to thank you, Stephanie Walcraft. You've been an excellent guest. And thank you to the listeners. You can find The Driving Podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite player. This has been our final episode of the four-part first season of The Driving Podcast. Please check our earlier sessions and be sure to join us for season two. For The Driving Podcast, I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld. Hey there, Andrew McCready here from Post Media's Plugged In Podcast, the half-hour show taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. Super excited to be launching Season 5 in mid-October with a full slate of guests covering all the EV topics that matter to you and our planet. Just as with Seasons Pass, we'll be talking to the experts and the everyday people who are driving the EV revolution forward in this country and around the world. Be sure to check out all the past episodes by subscribing to Plugged In wherever you listen to your podcasts or at driving.ca. If, like me, you live life in four-wheel drive while brushing your teeth with rough-cut pine lumber, you'll want to listen to the Truck Guy podcast from driving.ca. The Truck Guy podcast is presented by driving.ca's Matthew Guy. I'll host a new expert guest every episode to talk about pickup trucks and 4x4s. Ride Shotgun as I explore truck-related topics ranging from towing and overlanding to the latest models and their hot new features. Produced right here in Canada, the Truck Guy podcast is your dirt road ride to fresh inside takes on the latest truck news, test drives, how-to tips, and, just maybe, a dose or two of high-octane opinion. Join me to explore the best that Canada has to offer for off-road wheeling, towing and hauling, camping, and a bit of truck-based DIY. (laughs) Beds aren't just for sleeping, they're for hauling dirt, towing trailers, and just about any other work or recreation task you can think of. The Truck Guy Podcast is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite audio program.